0: Fly on your wings like an eagle. Hello? Oh, hi, Merlin. Good morning. How are you?
1: How's everything going? Mm. Very well. How are you? Good. How's, uh, How's school? School is good. Good.
0: School is good. We're just starting our third week of school. You're starting your second week of school?
1: Second week of school. Yeah. And he lost a tooth yesterday. Aw. front tooth! Oh, she just lost her front tooth a couple weeks ago. It's So funny! They look so weird. She looks like a hideous freak. <laughs> they look—they look a little too homeless for my tastes.
0: When you get those little gum nubs hanging down. Yeah, what is the gum nub? Gum nubs. <laughs> Hi. You enjoy jelly babies, gummy this is bears? So weird. Try gum nubs. Hi. Lost a tooth? Can't chew? Not a problem.
1: Hi. Yeah, I was uh, surprised with the gum nub, and uh, and my wife's like, "Oh yeah, no, no, that's normal. That's fine." How um,
0: what which number tooth is this uh, for? Cash for the losing
1: loss? um, three maybe
0: three. Uh, same for us. We lost the two bottom front ones <laughs> and uh, the one one the one. She's got a little snaggle now. Makes the other one look really big and weird. She looks Uh-oh. like Cl- Cletus the slack jawed yokel. Well,
1: wh- what was the weirder part for me was that before he, I don't know why, but I, I don't know if it's a courage thing, but he was not ready to really work it. So it would come out. So he was very gentle with it. And I said, listen, you know, if you want this thing to come out, all you got to do is just kind of twist it around a little bit, like not so it bleeds, but just keep twisting it, you know, like move it. And finally, of course, when he started doing that, it came out that day. He was very happy, but Like you're saying, there was this weird, like, gum nub thing behind.
0: Gum nub, yeah. yeah. Yeah, my uh, my kid is is uh, she doesn't like blood she doesn't like pain and discomfort unlike yep. most
1: people right. so um, she's so different from the large population of humanity out there and I should way. probably take her somewhere there's probably a <laughs> clinic for people like that <laughs> yeah
0: but uh, she uh, boy once it was about to come out I was really surprised because I can't mm, mm, it, it shouldn't surprise me but I kind of can't believe how much stuff that I was chicken crap scared about as a kid she's not Oh, yeah. And, and you know, you get to that point where you go, okay, it's a little loose. It's looser. And then you start getting the on axis back and forth like a rocking chair. And then you start getting the like uh, third, uh, you get the XYZ axis kind yes. of side to side. Yes. So finally it's just hanging by a pre-gum gum nub. And that's the, I, that would drive me crazy. Like I'd eat and it would push back into my skull. Ugh. She didn't seem to mind it. She, just, she was at camp one day. Just tore it right out. With those filthy hands. She'd been touching things all day at camp. Ugh.
1: Yeah, our camp is great, but, uh, oh, I saw the movie, saw Guardians, the galaxy movie. Oh, I'm going to write that down. Write that down. Uh, Guardians. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So we arrived there and, and somebody, this camp is awesome and they have, I'm sorry, my allergies are just off the charts. Are you all right? No, I might need to lay down. I got to say about my new mattress. You got to hear about this. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know when it's appropriate to talk about that, but you got to hear everything's changing for me. Everything's changing. The, you mean the pinch? Hmm. Well, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So we got Guardians of the Galaxy, gum nubs, uh, mattress that cannot be named. Uh, We got uh, the camp's great. But but the thing is, every time you walk into the building where the camp takes place, it's like a loner building that they just get, you know, for the summer. It smells distinctly of like 50 hour old man pee. Whoa. Every day. Now, no. I think that's because of proximity to the bathrooms. And as you know, a bathroom is hard to clean. I'm not going to get into bathrooms. Although right. we probably should get into bathrooms <laughs> a little bit. Since you brought it up last week, uh-huh. we've got more follow-up. I know. And I'd just like to say thank you to all the listeners, all the listeners who have taken time <laughs> in the last week to personally take the time to send me photos of bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Mm. Anyway, the allergies are just off the chart. So I went back to taking that, uh, that Costco allergy medicine. We'll see what happens. Okay. Well, Good luck. Yeah, thank you. It's it's difficult. It's when the weather changes and then when it doesn't. There's not really a pattern to
1: it. <clears throat> what are you allergic most to? Do you know if you had a scratch test?
0: I have a very good friend, a listener to the show, who I will not name, who went through that not long ago. Yeah. Like my friend, I think we got some immune things and he went through like the scratch test from hell. And he he got one of those dissatisfying like, well, looks like it could be. Oh. About these 11 things. So you know what they're doing to the poor guy? It could be a woman, but it's a man. And you know what they're doing? <laughs> yeah. They, you have to like avoid everything except for one thing. Oh, yeah. It's sort of like Conflict Catcher for allergies. <laughs> See, but Conflict Catcher <laughs> is efficient because you can shut off half of them and still have shampoo and chicken. Oh. In his case, they got, you got to dial everything way, way, way down. You got to make your own handmade salad dressings and uh, you can't have anything. You know, you, there are people who are like allergic to like laurel sulfate, I think it's called. Or, you know, but basically there's this one thing that's in like every shampoo that's ever been made. And unless so unless you buy I, that hippie stuff. Oh, oh yeah, she, we have some of the hippie stuff actually. Yeah, but I mean it's I think it's Laurel something. I don't know. It might be a, her married name. I'm not sure. But it's in like pretty much every soap. So that's tough. I don't know what I'm allergic to. I, I don't I say allergies and I think um Dr. Drank could probably have a post about this. It's mm-hmm. probably not precisely allergies. It's something in my allergy-related uh, connectivity system
1: mm-hmm.
0: that uh, it could be dust. Now, now, are you allergic to cats, did you say? Yeah, kind of. Um, are, you, are you actually allergic to cats? Yeah. Or is it just a convenient way to never have to be around a cat?
1: Well, no, I, I, had, I grew up, uh, we had cats, you know, when I was born all the way up until like through, I don't know, maybe eight, nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was the worst part of my life. One of the worst parts of my life. I didn't realize I was allergic until later. And it's not. It's not the kind of allergies where, like, if you pet a cat, uh, then like I'll have some kind of reaction. But it's enough so that it may it. It sort of heightened. I was like Wolverine. I, my uh, senses were heightened to all other forms of allergens because this one allergen was constantly in my system. And creating an allergic response so that, like, I would be fine. But if I then went outside and inhaled the pollen that would otherwise not affect me, would because my body was already doing as much as it could to fight off ah. the cat allergy, that it was like that was just enough to trigger it. So if you eliminated the cats, that significantly helped yes. all of my other allergies. But it's
0: like one of those stories where you're like, listen, why don't you just call in all of the Avengers? And they're like, we can't. Iron Man is in space. Thor is uh, beating Loki up somewhere. You're kind of like you wish. Why can't my whole body be here, like fighting this? And in that case, you were, if I may say, compromised. We had a compromised compromised compromised. Com- com- it's a compromise. It's a contract. <laughs> contract. Contract. Uh, so, so yeah. I so yeah. The,
1: uh, but I, I did have a scratch test.
0: Oh yeah. How far they go? They, they do your arms, or
1: where, where do they do that? They they. Do they all- make like a little pattern, like like a grid? Yeah, they do. Is that real? Is that just in movies? No, that's real. They did. uh, They knew that I was allergic enough that they wanted to do like the full spectrum scratch test. So they do it. (laughs) They need as much surface area to work with as possible. So they usually do it on your back. And um, by the way, if you've ever had like a little mosquito bite on your back that that's itchy, imagine that times like 30 uh, because they do like. All – your whole back becomes this grid for testing. And apparently my reaction to some of the things was so bad that like the 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 nurse who was in there, she's, she's like, oh, hang on a second. She brings the doc in. The doc looks. he's like, oh, hang on a second. And literally there was like five or six people in there looking at it like, oh, I've never seen a reaction like that before. They brought, they
0: brought other medical pro- professionals in to at <laughs> Just to kind of, at of laugh, yeah. Look, look at that one. That's right. a big one.
1: This was Florida, so not a surprise, yes. but –
0: well, you know that's yes. uh, if it's a week when they're not showing wrestling, they'll just bring out somebody who's got a scratch test. <laughs> that's right. Now
1: introducing Anchovy Paste, paste, paste. <laughs> that's rough. But I have to, I have to do this because if I don't, you know, I'll regret it. Uh, but for for all the um, you know people who 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 don't like talking about paleo and gluten, you can tune out for thirty seconds. But ever since I went paleo, my allergies have been gone. So there you go.
0: Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> No, 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 no. You're right. I heard an interview with one of the jackals where a woman said that as soon as we started talking about Buddhism, her husband stopped listening to the show. So I know, I know we lose people on these things, but yeah. I, you know, we got to do what we do. Yeah. This is what we do. Uh, this is this. Uh, yes, and here's the thing about paleo and, and or or whatever. It's like I I have never been... <sighs> It shows what a charlatan I am. I've never been that interested in the hand-wavy science about why something is the way it is. Mm-hmm. But I, I can tell you this, like for people with celiac disease, for people with, you know, all kinds of immune things, like you might as well piss on a spark plug. Like, try it. You know, I don't, I, I'm not a scientist, Dan. I don't know if you know this. I'm a liberal artist, mm-hmm. but I don't well, think... Well, you're at the,
1: the intersection of science and liberal arts.
0: Yeah, I'm like the iPod of Descartes. <laughs> Is that a thing? It is now. <laughs> I have a spinning drive, therefore I am. <laughs> That's funny, too. It's One funny. One or three people. No, it's funny. Yep. Dualism. Du- du- dualism. Dual. So here's the thing. I- I'm not personally that worked up about the science behind it because like, then you get an argument about I I don't know, but I do know, you know, this is boring, but sorry, sorry to everybody who keeps telling me to quit saying that, but it is boring. I I know that with my particular condition, which I will not go into because it's gross, uh, it made a huge difference. This is after like, I was taking like $600 a month in ass aspirin like enteric coated aspirin. I was, I'd been on pretty soon. I'd been on like all these different things. And you know, what made a huge difference was like eating less bread, eating fewer onions and not drinking so much beer. And those things together, like what's, what does that stuff have in common? They're all like, ir- can be irritants. Got
1: irritants. Yeah.
0: To, to a body that was never designed to have this much corn and wheat jammed in it. Right. You know, I, how, whatever your feelings on the, uh, the ontology of humans and where we came from, I'm pretty sure we were not made to jam this much corn in our hole. That's my thought on that. I think it so might. what I learned was you can have a little bit of onion, or you can have a little bit of bread, or you can have a little bit of beer. But if you decide to have an everything on a pizza and, and like a, a case of beer, you know, pick a novel. Tomorrow's <laughs> going to be a David Foster Wallace morning. Wow. One of my favorite Chris Christopherson songs. Foster Wallace coming down. I think this allergy pill might be doing something to me, Dan. Jeez, we've got a lot to talk about. There's yeah. so much to talk about. Um, I, you know, the other thing is like, I, I, I don't know... <laughs> If it's an allergy, but just changes in the weather, and okay, no. So back to the cats. So I had I had a, had a good pal, and she had like one of those super cat allergies. Like there's the cat people who uh, who are you know putting on fire with gasoline. No, there are the cat people who are like, oh, I can't pet your cat for more than a couple minutes, or my eyes will itch, mm-hmm. which is a thing. Yeah. And then there's the kind of cat people who are like, oh, okay, sorry, cat lady. I cannot be a cat person. I cannot be in your house full. Of 35 feral cats. She had the thing where, like, she couldn't even come in our house when the cat wasn't there.
1: Oh, just the dan- the cat dander. dander
0: that had been left behind of the cat, by the cat. Because dander,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know? And, uh, and boy, she would uh, – <laughs> she was bad. I had a friend uh, took a lady to the prom in high school, and uh, she didn't realize she was allergic to shrimp until uh, they were out to dinner for the prom.
1: Oh, no, really? She blew up like a balloon,
0: like a balloon. She got a face balloon from shrimp. Can you imagine that being allergic to shrimp? That would suck. Shrimp's in everything. Oh, are you kidding me? It, it, it'll say on there, this has been processed in a, in a shrimp-containing facility. Even your peanuts. Your peanuts are usually being processed inside of shrimp containers. Not a lot of people know that. Often by cats. <sighs> Changes in the weather. I noticed that. Uh, developer conference, Ellie Scooter. Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. See, now I'm seeing the unintentional backlash because Nimrods like me have built the expectations up to be so high. But you and... Who, who, who all did you take to the movie? Oh, just my boy. Just, to, just me and him. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> so I landed Belcher voice. oh
1: <laughs> It was a great movie. Really great movie. I loved it. Yeah. Exciting. How about, how, about the, how about that jailbreak scene, huh? The jailbreak scene was great and there's so many... You know, we don't want to give anything away here. Yeah. But it, it's 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 a movie that is fun and exciting, and it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it does that without making it silly or campy, if that makes sense.
0: I totally agree. I said, believe it or not, John Roderick liked this movie, which blew me away. What I said to him was, like, if this – it was a very clever script, and if it had been any more clever – it might have been two times too clever. <laughs> like, for example, the one the thing I noticed is, you know, as, as a fan of the comic, I mean, I'm not a longtime fan of the comic, but I, I have loved a lot of what I've read from the current, you know, series. The, um who is it? It's Bendis and the wonderful Sarah Pacelli, who, who also has done great work on All New X-Men. And the tie-ins with All New X-Men are great. But, like, I love Groot. Everybody loves Groot. It's, in the comics, even, Groot is such a great, sympathetic character. They could have... They could have leaned on the I am Groot joke more mm-hmm. in the movie, but they didn't. Like, in the comics, it's on, like, every other page, and it's funny every time. If they'd done it too much in the movie, it would have been too much. But they did it just enough to establish that that is his thing. Right. So so why do you think he was able to say,
1: we are? Well, the, apparently... Okay, so in the comics, my and I, I'm i with you, I'm not, like, a. have known about um, Rocket and Groot for a long time, but I would... It, I never really liked that. They weren't, like, characters I was really into or knew a lot about. Uh, but Rocket Raccoon, I've always liked him, and I've always thought that was a, a cool...
0: Even know, just seeing the guy. Yeah. Like, just seeing Rocket Raccoon makes you happy.
1: Yeah. And then
0: finding out that he's actually not a raccoon and doesn't know what a raccoon is and right. doesn't want you think he's cute makes it twice as funny.
1: It is. And, well, the thing with... with so, in Groot in the comics is that they have very, I guess... um. of their vocal cords can't really make many sounds, and the one sound that they can make sounds like I am Groot. Oh. So that that in the comics, they're not actually able... They, they are saying different things, but every vocalization just has that same sound to it. And That's that, a
0: really interesting way to put it, and even though they don't tell us why, we know that Rocket is able to interpret what that means.
1: Yes. Apparently, if you spend enough time with a Groot, you can learn... Uh, somehow, what their vocalizations mean, but in the movie, they sort of changed it to say like that. That's all that. Even though he's very smart, that which you know comes across. I think in the movie that he, that that does not a limitation of his vocal cords. It's just this is what he says, and you know he he sort of evolved to be able to say we through right. the course of the movie. Dif- so it's you know how they're going to retcon that in the comics. I don't know.
0: Yeah, but it's oh, a I'm it's sure. a big problem. I'm sure it's a he's big probably problem. A, probably a
1: scroll. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Ugh, god. Great acting, great <sighs> scenes in the movie. I don't want to give anything away, but the the ones, you know, you're you kind of worry when you take your kid, he's 6. You take your kid to to see a movie there's some violence. It wasn't a lot of personal violence. But, but there's what a, they might call comic book violence. comic book violence.
0: <laughs> but there is
1: the one scene <laughs> which, which is deadly violence that involves comic book. Characters. Yeah. Well, there's there is a scene where what what was the uh, the guy's name with the arrow flying around? Oh yeah, I forget his Quill name. The guy him. from uh, Walking Dead. Yeah, love him. I love his accent. man. Oh, remind me of home. Mm. But they uh, so he's there is. I will just say there is a scene where he makes good use of his arrow. Oh my god! Okay, that was so good. I love that scene, and I was a little a little concerned that that might be disruptive, mentally disruptive to my child. So that scene happens. I look over at him, and he's looking at me. He says. That was awesome, and I was right, like, oh, totally. "Okay, good." and <laughs> well, there's
0: there's, a, there's another scene that involves something going through bodies. Yes, where where Groot is, Groot is so sweet. <laughs> he seems so nice. I love that, but he's also the muscle. Yeah, and like the, the the thing is that that scene when he does what he does uh-huh. in that hallway uh-huh. is
1: horrific. Uh-huh.
0: And very funny. But then, you know what makes it five times as funny is he turns around and he
1: has a big grin on his yeah, face. Like, yeah. I just did a good thing. Yeah. And uh, again, my kid loved, loved that part too. And he, like, after the movie acted that part out, I was like, okay, this is great. But we had a great time. It was a great I'm so movie. You saw it in 3D. Yeah.
0: Was that okay? It was great. Did you did you take any, uh, take ibuprofen as a profile? No, I'm fine with it. I thought good. it was,
1: I think it was my old prescription, my gla- eyeglass prescription. My hmm.
0: gli- my glasses were wrong. Oh, I'm having a lot of problems. I eh? this is Marshall McLuhan. <laughs> um, <laughs> hmm. uh, so uh, yeah, oh man, the whole scene with the twelve percent of a plan. Yeah, oh my- we <laughs> just we just talk about that whole movie. I think for- I wasn't I wasn't listening. I was thinking of something else. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised at how many of my favorite lines come from Drax. Yeah, he was great in that. Yeah, he was. He was good. It's all good. I didn't realize that Zoe Saldana's been in so many different things. She was in the uh, in the Avatar, not not the one with uh, with the uh, uh, the one with the uh, with the aliens. And uh, uh, what's the name? Kirk Cameron. Who am I thinking of? What's the name of the guy that uh, made the Titanic movie?
1: Oh, uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio.
0: That's right. I think you're thinking of Capio. It's that uh, that cappuccino drink. Starbucks drink. drink. Star- Starbucks drink. Starbucks. I think was from Battlestar Galactica, the second one. The first one was Lauren Green. Lauren Green from Bonanza. I think you're thinking of Moby Dick. Moby Dick. You can call me Ishmael, just don't call me late for chow. Oh, thank you for my liberal arts education. <laughs> I think this... Uh, Chaucer. Helmet. Chaucer. Beowulf. Be- Beowulf. <laughs> v- Vanity Fair. The um, New Yorker. <laughs> the, the The New York Times Magazine. Time Life. <clears throat> the Odyssey. The Iliad. Oh, uh, <laughs> I- Iliad, New York. <laughs> Icarus. Icarus. <clears throat> As the sun breaks across the clouds, <laughs> an old man stands on the hill. Want <laughs> to oh, hear the chorus? Yeah. Just give me a second here. <clears throat> Fly on your wings like an eagle you know, I can play the trooper on guitar, did you know that? The
1: trooper. The trooper. Charge of <laughs> the Light Brigade. Yeah. You'll take my life, but I'll take yours too. So would you recommend the movie? Do you think it's uh worth worth it no. for people to see?
0: Can't recommend it.
1: No. Um it
0: was pretty funny though. Uh I uh, I like to visit that Rotten Tomatoes site. Uh it's it's weird. My my tastes um I don't think my tastes are like that crazy, but I I'm, I'm often surprised. Basically, it seems like especially IMDb. IMDb, I pretty much add a point and a half to everything on a 10-point scale based on what the reviews there are. Because like, I can't believe how many movies I love that get like a 7 mm. on IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes, I don't know why, even more than Metacritic is kind of uh, where I, you know. Do you ever use Rotten Tomatoes? I,
1: I've i been there, Sure.
0: I like the way they do it. I like the way they, and they do some weighing and science to make their reviews uh, you know, better and standardized. And uh I, I go visit there on Fridays, you know, see what's up for the weekend, what I might wanna buy at Best Buy that's mm-hmm. coming out. And um and boy, this <laughs> this last week in movies has been rough. This is I think that famous the famous week in movie releases that is famously like not super great. What, what is
1: it? What's coming
0: in? Oh, it's just if you go look around Tomatoes, look at what came out this week. There will always be like two movies like there'll be like a Persian movie that's got 100%. There's always a, like a, a movie from Iran that's got 100% that just came out. The highest rated movies lately are almost always uh, international films. But uh, yeah, it's rough. And then on top of it, one of my friends on Tumblr was mentioning, I guess, Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't understand. This might be falling out of some theaters already.
1: Really? I just had like it's Third huge I uh, week, yeah. Like, why would you?
0: I, if there's any movie that I'm aware of in the last year that people want to see multiple times, like that's it.
1: A lot of people that I know, um, uh, Mike Vardy, who does uh, work workflowing on Five by Five, we were talking about it in, in uh, After Dark. Uh, I was a guest on that show, and we, yeah, yeah, I saw that they re, they re, they rebooted, yeah, rebooted, and it's they, not, yeah, he was anyway. He was talking to me about that, and uh, and he's like, oh, I've seen it three times. I saw it once with this kid, I saw it once with my other kid, and then I saw it once on my own, and. I don't know for me if, if we would go to it again, but when I know for sure that when it like, when, when it's available at home, that we will be getting it and watch it many times there. Oh yeah. Theater's a process. It's a big, there's a lot of planning. Yeah. I mean,
0: you can, there's probably graphs on this out there about the time between an official wide release of a movie and then the day that it comes out on physical media And obviously, that's gotten a lot shorter. I think my rule of thumb is it seems like it's about six months most of the time, unless in this case you're coming up on the holidays. Where I'm, I have to imagine that that'll be out before Christmas. Has to be, yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised even in the next year or so if certain movies, maybe not same day, but like within like a month, you could at least like get us buy it on iTunes or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Because people want it. I mean, you know. I mean, in my case, like I just we just can't get to the movies that much for just a handful of reasons. I mean, my wife and I have seen since our daughter was old enough to have a babysitter. I think we've seen two movies together. We saw Moonrise Kingdom and Gravity, and in in each instance, it was a case of we could get a sitter that night, so let's see what the best movie showing is. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it really is. And but you know, but uh, anyway, I it's the the gears are moving. Albeit slowly. Wow, we got a lot to talk about. What, what else? You got? Oh, I got all kinds of stuff here. Uh, did you have anything? Uh, forgive me, I, I was late getting here. That's all
1: uh, right. uh Did you have anything you wanted to tell me about? Two things. Mm. The first of which is uh, uh, this uh, data anywhere place. Oh yeah. The yes, yes, yes. This is something that I'm actually thinking about using it here, even though we're we're kind of a small, a small affair. It sounds like a godsend. It's really great. Uh, and it's it's even, I think it's even better for companies that have more than just a handful of, of employees uh, because they're already dealing with, you know, with this problem. And what's the problem is you know, you've you got tons of data, you've got tons of files, and maybe you've got workers uh, in-house who, you know, they're not always physically there. They they work from home or they travel or they're mobile people. They're people who are always virtual. How do you take these existing shares that you have, this, this data that you already have, and make it available to them? Well, of course, you have solutions out there like Dropbox and things like that, but then you're relying on somebody else's infrastructure and you're also having to, to trust them. And that, you know, maybe is something you want to do, maybe not. Well... Verona's Data Anywhere, what what they did, they let you turn your own network shares into a Dropbox-like secure enterprise-class private cloud. You get mobile access. You get file synchronization. You get secure third-party sharing. You're going to let your users get all of this data that you have the way that you already have it shared. It just now, it's extended out to them. You don't have to change your IT infrastructure. You don't have to move your data from where it already is up to some third-party place. They have to reconfigure permissions. You know, your, your file shares are going to be secured. They're going to be backed up. They're going to be reliable. Why change everything and move terabytes of files to the cloud when you can just sync directly with your existing storage? You've got a NAS. You've got all this stuff set up. Use it. It works with Windows. It works with Mac OS X. It works with iOS. It works with Android. It's safe. It's secure. You can even add uh, stuff to share with third parties without adding them to, uh, to like Active Directory, and it takes like 30 minutes to get this thing set up and running. So here's what you do to go to Veronis, which is spelled V A R O N I S. Go to Veronis.com slash back to work, spelled out. And uh, as, a, as a special bonus for back to work, a bonus for back to work listeners, you go to that URL, you're going to get five users free forever. So check that out, Veronis.com slash back to work. Thank you very much to Veronis for supporting Five by Five and Back to Work with Merlin Mann. And Dan Benjamin, thank you very much. Oh, Dan, Dan,
0: mm. I've done something bad. Mm. I think mm, I need a spanking. <laughs> no, just seriously, I really do. Um, I did something I think for the second time ever, which is I had Dropbox, Dropbox, I had Dropbox running until like a minute ago. Did it sound okay?
1: It, it sounds better now. Uh. But it didn't sound bad. I yeah. just had to be careful of doing the thing where like I had to be really careful to not accidentally talk over you a little because. It, w- yeah, a I'm window. sorry. Damn. Sorry. It. I don't know why Dropbox. What are you syncing up there? Are you doing the uh the, the 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 uh the private stuff? The cloud stuff? Are you one of these actresses? I don't know why, so you but, one of the I I, uh, iCloud actresses?
0: Oh, that's 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 awful. is isn't um, that
1: terrible. I, I want to talk about that as a bigger issue though. Uh, okay,
0: sure. All right, no, we don't have
1: it. I mean, it's your show. No, whenever, I just you don't wanna, feed, whenever you no, want to do. It's fine. Oh,
0: no, I just don't want to feed the trolls. Um I'm talking about anything you want. I uh I don't know why. I've got two terabytes. I think maybe because I was an early adopter and some people joined because of me. I've got two terabytes now.
1: Yeah, no, what uh yeah. If you were if you like people, if you said, hey, sign up and use this thing, then like they had a thing for a while where if someone used your code to sign up, they would we're get doing that though. They would get five something, you get five something. Hmm. Anyway, it's
0: crazy. Um, Hmm. So odds and sods. Um, Yeah, Dropbox. I've mentioned this on the Twitter the other day, but I imagine most of our listeners who use Dropbox know about this, but this would be a great time to acquaint yourself with something in Dropbox called Selective Sync. Selective Sync. Which I think, improbably, some people may still not know about. Which is, you know, you've got your big uh, your big corpus of data sitting out there. Let's say you're one terabyte now of, of pro data. You got all that stuff out there, mm. and Dropbox, I guess, along the lines of like a, a sparse image or whatever. It'll, you know, you're only going to actually have as much stuff on your drive and terabyte of information on your drive, unless you have one terabyte of information in the cloud. Yeah. With that said, if you've got you know an SSD Mac, especially an older one that might have like a like in my case, I think I've got a 250 gig drive in my MacBook Air. Uh, I'm really circumspect about how much stuff I keep on here just because it fills up so fast. And I know you know this, but um, just for folks who don't know, uh, for any of your Macs at least, um, you can go into the Dropbox app and there's an area you can go to. Let me just pull it up real quick. This is so valuable. It's Well, I don't have it open right now. But you can go in and go to an area called Selective Sync. And it basically gives you a browser. It opens up a little browser-type thing for... Uh, your Dropbox directory, and it lets you tick off certain folders that you don't want synced to that device. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, you know, for everybody who's doing that already, they're rolling their eyes, but anybody who's not, that's such a lifesaver. So if there's something like you want to keep all your fonts in the cloud, but don't want, or, you know, your movies or whatever... Your images, your like morgue of images you might use someday. Um, it's just a really good idea to go in and know what's ticked on and off inside of Selective Sync. And to find out, uh, I would say to find out, you know, where those big outliers of space are. Uh, I use an app called Daisy Disk that I like a lot. There's others like it, but I like Daisy Disk a lot. Daisy Disk basically runs through your whole any of your drives and shows you graphically and in text like where the largest files are. So if you didn't know that you had like five copies of this one thing and don't need it. You can delete that. Do you ever use that? Do you Use apps I, like
1: that. I, I do use Daisy Disk, and I, I really like that one. Shame, shame on them, by the way, for not sponsoring. Um, but it, what this is really cool—they sponsored the, that other show with the with the Max. Shame on them. Anyway, shame you them. You, uh, you you run this application, and it's it's really cool because it it'll work with all of the drives. You can also have it just look at certain folders, and it has—I don't know what that diagram is called. You know the one I'm talking about where it it splits it up. It looks like something on Star Trek so it looks on Elcar. Like
0: it's kind of almost like it's, it's it's a it's a circular, like it's a kind of an, an area graph, but in a circle.
1: It's so cool, but it shows you like the split up of all of the kinds of files that you have, where those files live, what they are, and how you can you know potentially clear things out. Uh, and it's it's really 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 useful uh, to to kind of look at because you're like, well, how can I only have a gig free? Like what? Is that? What's you know, happening there? Well, you, what, yeah. One thing I think everybody gets occasionally
0: and may not realize it is particularly the kinds, like you may know, like, okay, I've got <clears throat> these large media files here. Um, I, I've talked before about one way. I, 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 this is a little off topic, but in iTunes, I have some smart playlists around um, the iCloud. What's it called? Music match. What's it called? Oh, iTunes match. iTunes match. Yeah. Where I'm able to say, like, show me everything. I've got a really good smart playlist that says, show me everything that's safely in the cloud. But is also local in this drive on this drive, mm-hmm. so it's a really great way to go in and knock off somewhere between you know two hundred and fifty megs to like <laughs> two gigs of stuff, knowing that it's safe in the cloud and I can get it back. Stuff like that's really important. But um, what I think what people don't know, you may know about your media, but you might be surprised how big your um, application. What's it called uh, application. See, this is one of those things where I do this every day, but I don't know what it's called. With the application folder <clears throat> or your apps slash, or what? Slash library, slash... App- application app- support. Application support. Yeah. Because there there's, could be so much stuff in there, including old syncs with your iOS devices. You might, have some, you might have a number of surprisingly large, like 32 gig backup files in there that you just don't need anymore. Obviously, you know, do your own due diligence on what's safe to delete. Things like, like for example, I don't use Mail.app on my Mac, and so that doesn't Do, do you me use good. do you use
1: the Gmail <clears throat> interface in a browser?
0: Uh yeah, I yeah. do. I've been um using um a beta of Mailbox, the Dropbox mail Yeah, how app, do you which, like that thing? Um it's really perfect for a certain kind of work and really super imperfect for other kinds. It's what I use on my phone um a lot. Um there's another one called Dispatch that's really cool. Um but it, but you know we can talk about that. I'd be happy to talk about that. Yeah. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is like, you might be surprised if you're always running out of space. You might be surprised that there's some old cache files, um, something that's taking up way more space. One way around this also is at least once a month, probably more often I run Onyx. You could do Onyx or Cocktail. But if you run one of those apps, through the automation mode in that. It'll do all the, you know, all the Unix maintenance tasks as well as like, get rid of your DS... DS list folder things. It'll fix
1: all your permissions. Do you do that? I do.
0: I'm not o- only when you're having trouble.
1: Yeah, I mean, I you know, there's that whole song and dance about permi- fixing permissions and other things. But for me, it, I always, I'm still back to the. I mean, for a second, the mail thing. Yeah, I do use Mail app, and I don't, I don't like it. But I'm in that. I, I find it utterly unusable. It is, but uh, I. I don't like Mailbox any better, and I don't like the Gmail interface either. I, I feel like Mail app is the thing that I hate the least. Yeah, that's, it, that's
0: a lot of being a modern computer user, is yeah. finding the thing you hate
1: the least. Yeah, and that's, that's the reason that <laughs> I use one, Mail.
0: You're the one I hated the least.
1: Yeah, that's why you're here.
0: Um, you know, the thing is, uh, you want to talk about email a little bit? Yeah, let's talk all about it. I also want to talk about my daughter's scooting. Yeah,
1: You mean like She's,
0: the way a, an animal? Yes, like she, my daughter is like an animal that scoots. She's like a, like a paralyzed dachshund with a little cherry <sighs> that's around. What? No, no. No, I want to talk about expertise, but uh, email is good. Um, here's the thing. I, you know, the thing is, I, I, I don't feel qualified to sit here and tell you why I don't like Mail.app today, except to say that like, I've, I used it because I had to for a long time. You know, it's all pretty much all I had that I could use on iOS for a while. Then there were so many mail apps that came along, including Gmail's app, which is pretty good, their iOS app. But I just, on the desktop, it's driven me crazy for a really long time. It's um, just, just in my, and again, I haven't spent time with it in like, I know it's gotten better, but it always felt, I used to say it felt like a pinball machine. It felt like something where, like, if you were the kind of person who really liked clicking, selecting things, doing things to that, like, out-of-the-box, Mail.app was a a very fun, clicky adventure. But there were also a lot of things that were really buggy about it. People talked about the way that it, like, forgets. I think Syracuse has talked about the way it could, like, forget what you selected while you're in the middle of doing something intensive. It just always, I don't know, I guess right around the time, this might be retcon, but I, I remember at one point finally sitting down and making myself learn the uh, key commands for Gmail, which I think I discovered mostly via the key commands for Google Reader. So stuff like JK for moving to the next item, you know, uh, E for selecting an item. Oh, sorry, uh, is it X for selecting an item? See, it's muscle, <laughs> it's it's muscle the, memory it's for you now, memory. right? Yeah, yeah. but there's other things, you know, that I got. The, the one that was the really the killer for me in the um, web interface of Gmail is is left bracket and right bracket, which if you're inside of an individual mail message and you hit, I think left bracket, it marks that as read, archives it, and moves you to the next message. So not just JK for moving through, but like that—that that is a way to process email very quickly. Is to not just look at the summary view with subjects, but to go into the actual email, read it, ask yourself, you know, 150 times, do I need to do anything with this ever? One, if you don't just hit that left bracket and it takes you right to the next one. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but once you get that habit, it changes the way that you think because you no longer see email as, you know, this thing that requires three different steps in order to do anything with each message, right? Which I always kind of felt like with with mail.app, it just felt really tortured. Um, and I think that really kept me there for a long time. Well, right now, Google's web Gmail's web interface on on two completely separate Macs is so slow, and I don't know why. I don't I'm I don't know if I need to like purge something in Chrome, but um, I'm all over the map now. That's but but here's the basic problem. The basic problem is that you know once you get a little bit serious about email, even just a little bit serious, you realize how many different kinds of things email actually is. And because of the different, very different kinds of things that email can be, it's difficult to find one tool that will let you do everything efficiently on a given
1: day. Do you know what I mean? You almost want to switch tools and say, well, how, what is it that I'm doing right now? And how am I using, how am I using email right now? Because it is, you say three things, I think it's, you know, it's at least three things. And how am I using it? And that's the kind of, if you think of your email as sort of a, a, yeah, I think this will resonate with developers. If you think of your email as a, a database that contains information, well, how do you want to get to it? Do you want to run a report? Do you want to make it pretty for a website? Do you want to sort it and organize it and output it into a different format? It's almost like, email has become this thing that, that is, it's just a sort of giant repository of data and you've got to pick the tool that you need to, are you viewing it? Are you replying? Are you in productivity mode? What kind of email are you reading? Why are you reading it? You know what? And these sound like really ridiculous questions to have to ask yourself about something that's supposed to be as simple as email, but email for me has become like a black hole. You know, it's like a one way thing. I, I agree with you. And
0: I, I totally agree. And so that's one of the reasons why I have said in the past in talking about, in doing like Inbox Zero talks and stuff, I, I say this thing that sounds a little silly, which is that one reason that we, I think for most of us, one reason we check things like email early in the morning, one of the first things is that that's where we go to find out who the world wants us to be today mm. or who who, <laughs> who they're asking us to be today. Right. And that sounds really like a stretch, but think about it. If you never needed if you didn't need, to, if you could just do your work today without wondering what everybody else expected of you, you wouldn't check email, or you check it at noon because you're not worried about it. But you don't know. Again, it's that unknown factor in email, and there's this certain part of us, I think, that really clenches up to go in there and find out how will how will my day or week potentially be disrupted by one, two, five, seven, thirty-five emails? Like, what if something happened overnight? Like, you know. Uh, on another continent, and now this thing blew up, and there's a problem with your CDN, and now you've got to go deal with that. Um, so, I mean, I'm, so for me, like I'm a, I tend to another 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 throwaway line of mine is that I, I I'd like to say that you know work is about making sandwiches, it's not just about reading the orders, and so for me over the years, email uh, has necessarily become a place where I decide what has to be done about something, and then I move it to the right place to do that. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, the thing is on the phone or, or the iPad where I am a lot of the day, that's not super easy. So, I mean, my satisfice on that is to usually forward it to my OmniFocus email, turn it into a task. But I still got to go deal with it in OmniFocus, as, you know, or, and do it. But anyway, the, the different people, the different things, like, there's so much stuff in there that's just notifications. And, and I've really tried to pare that stuff down. I've got a lot of Gmail filters that look for, I've said this numerous times, but different kinds of filters where I don't need to know about these kinds of things. LinkedIn will never accept that I don't ever want anything from LinkedIn <laughs> ever again. Right, But I keep getting those. But I, I try to really winnow it down to where I won't miss anything important, but it will also be, I can feel 80% sure that most of what I get is from a person about real stuff, which has helped a lot. But even then, what do you do? Think about those days where I think the days that drive us most crazy with email are the ones where we suddenly get pulled into something, whether that's a thread with other people or it's an event. Like I say, something happened with your servers, you know. Like when I when I get billed wrong for something, or when I get uh, I'm trying to get help from customer support, all of a sudden emails like I'm on I'm all over email oh, like yeah. a cheap suit. It's like I'm using it and using it and using it, and there's all the threads and the responding. and that's a. But that's a really different kind of way of using email than it is to use it as a kind of push notification for just updates on stuff. And there's not a single app that will let you do both of those easily at scale, I don't think, because you want notifications for stuff that are important, but you don't want so many notifications that it becomes distracting. And I mean, with a touch interface, the nice thing about Mailbox and Dispatch and some of those is they've added some nice swipe gestures, but it's still kind of an intermediary satisfice. It's not like it... I think with Dispatch, Dispatch is a little bit like... um, What's that awesome app that I always forget the name of? Action... Action uh, Man? Action man, man? Action Center Pro, Agile Tortoise makes it. What's it called? Somebody tell me. I'm but looking, uh, where, where you can do stuff and send it places using like, you know, URLs. Oh, yeah. But it's... Um, dispatch will do that. But, you know... Mailbox, which I like, has brought back some old kind of bad habits of mine, which is I'll just swipe everything in my inbox and say, okay, get this all out of here, bring it back in in two hours or whatever.
1: I'm sorry, I'm babbling. Tell tell me about your
0: struggles right now with email.
1: Well, you know, like I was saying, it's a a black hole in the sense that there, you know, I often try to think about the way to view the email. There's the, you know, this new view uh, that Apple has uh, created for us, which is similar to the iOS perspective where you have, uh, where you have the, I guess the, the, the fat list, you know, where you've got the title and then the the date and then the first few lines, then you, you would tap that and it would expand into the whole view of the thing, uh, versus the old school list view where it's almost like, you know, the net newswire view where you click it and then it displays it below. You know what I'm talking about? Like where it'd be a very, uh, more tidy, yeah. Subject
0: line only. Yeah.
1: And and so the old school way, and they actually call it if you go into your preferences in mail. I'm looking at this right now to make sure I call it the the right things. If you go under viewing, they actually have a checkbox that says use classic layout. So if you and it by default that's not checked, but you get this more iOSy view if you if that's unchecked. And then the classic view is the um the Eudora view that we're all used to, where you just have that long list and then you've got the different columns. Um, I still use that view and there's people who will turn threading on and other people who would turn threading off. And I try it both ways and it's just, it's the organization of the email. And I, my problem is that I read email and here at work and then at home with kids and family and everything, everything is a distraction. You always get distracted. So you might be reading an email and you're like, oh, right. Like I need to do something about that. And then someone's like, oh, Dan, can you help me with this? And like, okay, and you go do it, and then now that email's read, and you didn't have time to process it and do what you needed to do with it, or maybe you did, and, and it's that not following the GTD thing of, you know, I'm kind of just reading stuff, and I'm, I'm, I'm going through it, and I think, oh, yeah, I got to get to that, but I just kind of want to see what these other emails are first, and then you wind up with these, a bunch of unread emails in there that you're like, oh, crap i i i don't remember what i read and what i didn't read and now what am i supposed to do about that do i reread those emails cuz now there's 20 right. more new emails that look more interesting they're new they're the candy that i want to unwrap i want to unwrap the new ones i don't want to go back to the old ones and so you wind up doing that enough where you read the email make the mistake of reading the email on your on your uh on your iOS device or your Android device while you're out because an email comes in, you want to see what that was. So you read that, you look at that, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, right, well, that's something I got to do. I'll do You know what? I'll do that as soon as I get back from lunch. And you get back from lunch, and then there's those new 20 emails. You want to go read those, you never get back to the old one ever. That's my problem.
0: Yeah, to- totally. And there's, there, it reminds me of that phrase. I think I heard Syracuse first use. Is it called technical debt? The idea that, you know, John's always uh, an advocate for trying to fix problems in software in particular before it gets too late. He's talking about this with iTunes on um, ATP uh, in this previous week. But I think you get a, a version of that with your email too, which is that, you know, on, especially on a touch device, uh, it, you know, but viewing an email marks it as read on most touch devices. Yes. Unless, you can, unless your email client has a box that you can tick that says, don't mark this as unread unless I do something with it. So, I mean, that's one nice thing. Mailbox will do some nice stuff for you. Limited, but nice stuff. So Mailbox will do stuff like, say, unstar this when I archive it, uh, which can be kind of handy. That's a box you can tick. But I think, yeah, you're exactly right, which is let's say you start out and you get up in the morning, you've got 10 emails in your inbox from yesterday that are somewhere you know in there. And now you get you know 10 new ones. And, you, you know, you're, you're going to probably cherry pick the ones that you think are the biggest bomb that morning that you can work on diffusing. But, like, you know, it's a kind of debt that each one of those that you look at but don't do anything with uh, starts to weigh on you. And you never feel that more than when you come back later in the day. And now you've got 50 emails in there that are kind of red but you haven't decided what to do with it. And so this is where something that Mailbox makes very easy has become a terrible habit for me, which is that you can go down to the bottom of the that view table and swipe on a column and basically say, send all of these emails um, out of the inbox, but bring them back in on this day or date. Which in some ways is really great. Like if you're at a conference and you just, you know you can't do anything with that, that's super helpful. But, you know, i I'm not great at this, but I've been trying really hard to get better about at least reading all the email we get. We don't get that much email from people, but, you know, we get a lot of really nice emails yeah, yeah, from wanna, people. I want
1: to say that. I'm not just uh, buttering you up, but you have been doing really great at, at that way better than me. It's making me look uh, really terrible to myself.
0: Like we got that one, this woman wrote this really nice email last week, and I want to respond to it with some care. And I'm doing that thing that I know I shouldn't do, which is I keep just shooting it into the future along with everything else I don't want to think about right now. You know, I, I'll just shoot it. If it's nothing I have to do anything with right now, I do want that clean slate of having nothing in there. But then having it come back, you know, that's, that should be a lesson to me. That should be instructive that if I haven't done anything after a certain period of time, and I, I, the thing is, I eventually do. It's just that I, more and more of my time, I'm on an iOS device. And Mailbox is maybe less terrified to check email because I can do that, but honestly, still, even stuff like uh, there's a there's a there's a bug even in the I think the current version of Mailbox for desktop, which is sometimes it doesn't quote correctly, and I'm all about the quoting, you know, when it comes to sending an email back to somebody, and so that provides a little bit of resistance, but you know, no matter how no matter how you're situated at a given time when you step away from email, like let's say you feel like you've been really clear and gotten everything out of the way, you've been super David Allen about everything, and you, you've processed all of your email into the right place to where you have nothing in your inbox. You know, that feeling of completion is good for exactly as long as you're staring at that empty inbox. The second you go to another app, right. some part of your mind starts percolating about what might be there. <laughs> And it's a very overriding feeling for most of us to turn that unknown into the known at the very least. So that brings you back to that. And there, just back to your original point, though, I think there are some days where like one email program will be so much better than others for dealing with certain things. I think in particular of days where, for example, like when we were putting out the newsletter as like a formal like project, I was getting a lot of email from people. Or when you say like, you know, you're asking people for suggestions about a a product where you'll suddenly get a lot of this new kind of email. And that's a weird kind of email. Like when I write something and people like it, I'll suddenly get this surfeit of email from people, very nice email, and I want to respond to it. But do you know what I'm saying? It's not that disrupts the daily casual flow because now I'm not going to sit and answer all of those the second they come in. But if I go put them in a folder called super important emails to respond to, out of sight, out of mind. I've got to then give myself a task to go in and deal with those. So, you know, it's, it's the classic problem, I guess, of an old communication medium being forced to adapt to all these new ways of how we communicate. While at the same time, this is now this is where it's, it's really weird, because I hear more and more people today, the Paris Lemons, et cetera, of the world, saying, that's it, I give up. Like, email is just not a thing. Even when I did the Inbox Zero talk, you know, uh, not long after that, I started when I started doing more talks about email, that's when people started saying to me, "Well, I've given up on email. It's meetings that are killing me now." But there was a lot of people who were just like, "I'll just I just do the best I can with email, but they'll write me again if it's important." And there's no there's no app that fixes that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just there's you know, when I'm looking at my, as as we're talking I'm sort of glancing at my inbox right here. And if as I look at the top, you know, 10-15 messages that are here, uh, three, four of them just in, in the, the most recent, you know, 10, 15 emails, four of them are feedback about shows that are directed at both me and the co-host of the show. One of them is about a show we're onboarding. Uh, one of them is from one of the people that, that works here. Who's trying to coordinate a, a job interview that we're doing. And one of them is, uh, from J crew that's giving me 15% off. And one of them is a spam about South by Southwest. And another one is a spam from a company that I actually like, but that I don't ever want to hear about. The reason that I go through that list is each one of these things, you know, the ones that are emails like about shows, those are things that I could just sort of read. And then after I read them, I could probably either respond or delete to them. But they're not, you know, they're not as important as the email from my employee who's trying to schedule a job interview. They're not as important as the email that's about, uh, you know, onboarding of a show, um, you know, that kind of thing, the, the J. Crew one, well, they're giving me 15% off. Well, I, I need a new shirt. So that might get me to go to J. Crew. I don't want to delete that. You know, th- there's decisions that have to be made through all of this. But then I have this stupid habit of just kind of going through them and being like, oh, that was a neat email. And then I'll do the most stupid thing in the world. And that is after I've read that email from that person who had that really nice thing to say, I'll think to myself, I really want to write them back and say thank you because they took their time, A, to listen and B, to write in. This is a fan and this is somebody who's taken their time out of their day while well, cool. they're probably struggling with email to send an email that says, I like that thing you made. Well, what could possibly be better than that? And I really do want to write that person back and say thank you so I won't delete their email. Because I think in my mind, I, I want to get back. It's important. I want to get back. Well, it's not important enough for me to flag it. But it, And if I put it in that folder or star it or label it regardless, regarding which system you use, then that'll go in a folder and I won't see it anymore. So I'm just, you know what? I'll just <sighs> leave it in my inbox because I want to get back to that. And now, you feel worse. You feel worse about it every time you see it. I now have 10,987 emails in my inbox and 130 unread. Because I do that. Right. You know what I mean? Like and now I just, like throwing my hands up like, you know what? Email's a black hole. I'm just not don't email me.
0: You know? But
1: you're but you're a good person, right? You
0: we like to tell ourselves we're a good person, and a good person responds to that person. So the very top of the stack of of nice people email, you're going, Oh, of course I've got to respond to that person. Yeah. For forgetting or ignoring that at the bottom of that stack of nice people email, something from two years ago, you yes. still haven't responded to. Yeah. And it's taking just as much out of your psychic ram as the most
1: recent thing that's, that's blown up. Not as much, but like it's there, it's dead. It starts to really weigh on you. I have an email from somebody, from uh, lots of emails that I just scrolled up to the top, going back to February of 2012, that I still need to reply to. Mm. That's my problem. And how, how am I going to do this now? Okay. I know how to do it. I've listened to you long enough. I know what I should be doing. I can effect better email practices starting today. But what do I do about the, you know, the other 10,987 emails that are waiting for me in there that clearly whatever they were going to say back in 2012, I can't really reply to. Do I just delete them in bulk? Do I cut it off at a certain time period? Do I say going forward, I'll be good? and maybe i can do that but what about right. the other 10,000 emails that are i'm never going to you know well and yes and is it realistic to think that i'll ever go back through those 10 email 10,000 emails
0: not really not really and and there's something there's something even more insidious in this i think um, is that you know it starts you've got a good heart like we don't like to disappoint people we don't like to say no and we certainly don't like to just ignore people because that you know ignoring people reads as mean. It, it doesn't read as you're, you're busy or you're scattered or you're distracted. It reads as a dismissal. 100% of their attention went into sending that thing. And even though 0% has gone into the actual response, it's still on your mind, but there's no way to say this. So what do you do? Do you write to 10,000 people and say, I'm, I'm going to eventually respond to this? <laughs> yeah. Like That way lies madness. But here's the, the deeper pattern that worries me. is If we say, let's start out and say like a really oversimplified example, which is that you got your mailbox totally clear on Friday afternoon except for three emails that you're dying to respond to from really nice people. They sent you maybe a long email, and as much as you you don't want to get in the habit of, you know, it really can be crazy to think you always have to write an email as long as the person who wrote to you. Some people think it's kind of dismissive if you send like a one-line email. But let's say you really want to write to somebody like that that woman. I, I want to respond to that. If you get three of those in your mailbox, isn't it fair to say that if you have 15 new messages that push those down there's a pretty good chance that you're going to want to at least look at all of those before you even think about going to those other ones i think it's a very natural pattern yes the the thing that's worrisome about it though is like what if that's 150 emails what if that's 7000 emails you got today the problem is that like we live in this this mad world where those those 3 are the thing that we know we... It's almost like that Stephen Covey table. It's like the thing that's not urgent but is important. We'd love to actually respond to those. But there's no limit to how much stuff we can get and there's no limit to how much stuff we will get. That's the worrying part, is if you don't learn to establish and maintain a line for yourself, then this is going to get so much worse than you can ever realize because there will always be more stuff. It's like if you haven't decided... Like in our case, you know what would be smart... Um, this is, this is going to sound nuts and a little y, but like, I think the one way to do this is to set aside, um, maybe half an hour, twice a week, half an hour, twice a week where you actually maybe even put something on a calendar, but at least a task, give yourself, you know, at a time of day when you're good at this, when your brain is ready for this, set aside a half hour, twice a week to go in and respond to really cool emails from people. It may not even take half an hour. But that's kind of the only way it's ever going to happen. It's the same way that, like, unless you schedule a vacation, you're not going to have a vacation, right? Unless yeah, you no, yeah. unless you plan ahead for certain kinds of things, it won't happen because life will constantly intervene. And then pretty soon, that's your life. Your life isn't the stuff you'd like to be doing. It's all the stuff that you've unconsciously allowed to take over, like a virus. So, I mean... It's just uh, even as people claim to be abandoning email, email is almost like the new fax machine. It's like I think it's going to be here forever. I think there's going to be a long tail of getting rid of email, and it's still the best way to communicate certain kinds of things. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. The devices, the devices are going to keep evolving, but I think email is still going to always be there, waiting for us.
1: I, don't, it, sounds, I don't it sounds like th- this, th-
0: is, this is stressful. This is stressful for you.
1: Well, it is because I've become so ineffective at sending emails. I found an email from uh, a friend of mine who, uh, you know, two weeks ago was saying, can you have lunch Thursday? And, you know, when I saw it, I texted him back, which is also a, a, a faux pas. You know, you want to reply in the same way that you were contacted. If someone calls you, call them back. If someone emails you, email them back. If someone texts you, text them back. Uh, and I have a story about that too. Uh, but you know, I texted him, I'm like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I, email's just, it's not the best way to get in touch with me. We've known each other for 10 years. Just, you know, call me or text me. He's like, okay, you know, let's get lunch. I said, okay. But it was, you know, like, I hate that. I want, I want to use email. I want to have, you know, uh, maybe inbox zero is not a good goal for me to have yet, but I want to be able to know that if somebody emails me something that it won't just get lost in this huge tide, of emails that, that I know inevitably. And I I don't know if, if it's just the casual way I go, but I have done the thing where I will set aside time to look at email instead of just having it all the time. And that helped me a tremendous, you know, people who have their email open all day and live out of their inbox, we know is not the way to do it. You do it like a, a task, the way you would do something, you know, I'm not just sitting down writing code all day long no, I say, oh, I'm, I'm going to go work on this thing. And I'll say, I'll do that for an hour or two or five or eight, whatever. But that becomes a thing that you're focusing on. And if you treat email that way, as you've taught me, it, it it's much better. Uh, we, you become diluted by all, as in dilution, you become very
0: diluted. If you're right. kind of checking email a little bit a lot of the time, then you're not giving something else your full attention either. and And that's. That's part of the problem. So, I mean, just to be a little defensive, you know, I just want to reiterate that at least in my, in my estimation today, there's a lot of people who like to say inbox zero and say that means sitting in your inbox until all your email is gone. That's not, that's not the way I think of it. The way I would think of it today is is a much more difficult thing, which is developing a tolerance about what you can live with being in your inbox while you do other stuff, mm-hmm. which is not very satisfying and it's certainly not as catchy, but the goal the goal is not to forsake everything else to make sure you never have email. That's actually the opposite of the idea. But what that means is exactly what you're describing, which is setting aside setting aside some rules for what's really important. So think about one of the best if you're, you know, feeling really Adrift, you feel like you're procrastinating. You're feeling crummy about what you're not getting done. You, it's hard to you get anything done because you, all you can think about is what else you should be doing. Which I think is a classic feeling. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a there's one simple way you can fix that. Um, the simplest way I know of to get out of that is to realize that that's a procrastination is your brain's way of saying like. <sighs> Often it's a way of saying I'm not ready to do something. Often it's a way of saying I'm not sure what should be done or who I should be about this thing. But this, is, this takes a, can take a tremendous amount of courage. But the most difficult thing that you can do and the most helpful thing is to pick one thing. And so that's why I say don't make a list. If you want to do a data dump of everything that's on your mind, that's great. Set it aside. And then take out one index card or its equivalent and write down an item that can be completed in 20 minutes or less. And do that first. So if there's one thing you want to do, if there's one thing where you know, if I got this one thing done, I'd feel better. It could be sharpening pencils. It could be picking up half and half, but whatever it is, just remember, you can really only do one thing at a time. And when you do one thing, then you get to do another thing. For a lot of people, if you get three things of any size done in one day, you would not believe how much further ahead you are of most people, let alone yourself. Right. If you haven't done what you wanted to do for a week and a half because you feel like crap, ask yourself if you'd done three things each one of those days, wow, you know, you'd know you have like 24 things done. That's the thing. If you, write, if you write 50 words a day, you're a lot further along than somebody who thinks they're going to write 3,000 words in an afternoon. So it's a little bit of a trench war. So the reason I say that here is, it is kind of about establishing habits. Secondarily, I guess, it's about the habit of not feeling like looking at email all day long is improving things. If you're looking at email all day long and getting stuff done and that's your job, well, ding, Like that's, you're doing great. It takes a certain amount of courage and intestinal fortitude, as we used to say in pro wrestling, to say, no, what I'm going to do is like I will spend a half hour in the morning and a half hour at night and i will respond to notifications if it's super important but anything that you're going to do well this is this ongoing rant of mine but i can't get away from it like to find out what's important in an organization you have to look for something that has three things to it it's got a schedule it's got a it's got a, it's got a budget it's got a <laughs> it's got a budget and a deadline and an owner That's what makes something important. If there's a project that's not getting done in your organization, Mm -hmm. consider whether it actually has a real budget and a real deadline and a real owner. Because if it doesn't have at least a couple of those things, ideally all three, it won't get done. That's the things that come up in meetings over and over. So what do I mean by budget? Well, to me, budget not only means the dollars that you put on something, it could be the resources you put into something. It's the hours of time and attention that you set aside for seeking all others to do that. So for, if you want your email to be taken seriously and you're really you know, ready to do this, consider setting a budget. And that budget means I'm going to, this is the amount I get to spend each day on this. And I'm going to spend it in this way. So rather than eight half-ass hours looking at email, consider, you know, whatever, however long it takes. You pick it. You're, you're the one who gets to pick the budget. When it gets a budget, it gets a deadline, it gets an owner. The budget is, I'm going to spend 45 minutes in the morning, 45 minutes at night, whatever that is. Uh, the deadline is that, you know, uh, this has to be done by the end of the day today. I, this resets every day. This is how much time I can afford to spend to do this every day. And the owner is you, right? That's the person who has to take care of it, which then feeds back into the question of, am I the right person to be doing this task right now? which is a, a nice way to kind of triage what's happening. So that's not that's a really unsatisfying, ultimately life hacky answer because it means saying like, if you look at anything that's not happening right for you, it's because it lacks one of those things. And the lack may be that it doesn't have an owner. It may be I mean, how many times have you seen the CEO or whoever, like, like CC something to like 35 people and nobody does it because it doesn't have an owner. No one's going to jump in and go,
1: oh, I'll take care of that. Yeah, it sounds exciting. Let me in on that.
0: Yeah, but that <laughs> yeah, oh, that's great. Why don't I set this aside? I'm yeah. sure I'll get great accolades for doing this thing that nobody else wants to do. Let me let me put that on my timesheet. Right, but um, you know it's 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 really sometimes you need a reframe on these things, and I think one of those best reframes if you're not getting that stuff done is to be a little more realistic about saying. Um, You know, again, I'm sorry to repeat myself, but like, if you are claiming that email is that important to you, that you have to do those things, then why don't you treat it like it's important? And anything you start treating as important means it gets the equivalent of a budget. It means that like, this is so serious that, you know what, if I picked five emails that I were going to respond to today, what if you were running out the door? What if you were late for a flight and you had time to answer this many emails? Which ones would you pick? Start there. That's one way to do it. That gets that stuff out of your hair, but also just realize that there will always be more. And I, I'm saying this to hear it myself because I know I, I struggle with that, you know. And if I get five more really nice emails, like what could be better than getting nice emails from people? But now that also just accumulates the amount of guilt I have about the ones that I already owe a
1: response to. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to I'm going to set a schedule. I love the idea of setting a schedule for it. And the The question that I still have though is like. What do I do with all this existing email? Well, do I go back? Do you want the want the hard medicine? Uh, yeah,
0: this is uh, something I proposed and something I wrote on my forty three folder site called Inbox Zero. I think the first thing to do <laughs> is to let is to like lie a little less and to go in. And so, what I would do, and this is another reason I love Gmail, is that I've done stuff with Text Expander. Um, like for example, for a long time before they introduced the new inboxes in um, Gmail, for a long time, I had a text expander snippet that would fill in with basically the current date and say show me everything that's been sent since yesterday that's important and unread. And now I can I, get, I can mostly accomplish that with the way Gmail works now, but those kinds of snippets can be super helpful. So think about something like a text expander snippet that expands in the you know the URL bar that says show me, Um, all of the email... (laughs) Here's a basic one. Show me all of the email in my inbox that's more than three months old, regardless of whether it's red flagged, starred, you know, bolded, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then without even looking, select all and archive it. Um, And you pick the date, like whatever that is. But for, for most people, I would say anything older than a month. Now, there's a million ways that you can lie to yourself about that. You could, you know, do my old trick of what I call the email DMZ, which is where you go and you create a folder where you put all of the email that's currently in your inbox that you're definitely going to respond to. But, the, you know, the thing is, if you haven't responded to that email in a month, when will you?
1: And this is very difficult because we are And And people. at what point is it even relevant anymore? You know what I mean? <laughs> it, like, if, it's, yes. if it is... Obviously, the stuff that I'm keeping from 2012... I, I thought that I would reply to at some point, so it was important enough to reply to. But what if somebody was was asking me a question in 2012? The the possibility that my answer is still relevant or important to them is. is, it's pretty low. It's a very realistic approach, but it still hurts. Right. And
0: because <laughs> it may not be about that question. It may be really about that person reaching out to you. And now you feel bad because you haven't talked to him. in Well, now year.
1: I'm certifiably, you know, a jerk about it because if I reply to them now, you know, I one time I wrote to, to Mr. Rogers. Have I told you this story? I don't think so. It's my Mr. Rogers story. Roll I, it. I wrote, I wrote to Mr. Rogers and I said – you know, I forget what I, exactly what I asked him, uh, but it, it was something that to a four-year-old was pretty important. And I remember checking with, you know, my parents every day, like, did, did I get a letter back? Did I get a letter back? Did I get a letter back? And it took what felt like, you know, an eternity, but it, of probably within in the next month or two, I got a response, Wow, And the response was, I'm smart enough to know now, and I unfortunately was smart enough to know then, that it was not really from Mr. Rogers. It was from the person who wrote on on his behalf. And it was a letter that, you know, thank you so much for, you know, watching the show. Uh, And it addressed the question that I had asked. So they did read my letter. It was not a form letter or the part of it that addressed my question was not a form letter. And the signature, and this is what gave it away for me, the signature was not a signature. It was a, a multicolored stamp. So <laughs> it was his signature, but it was almost like an Apple logo-ish kind of thing. It had the multicolored thing. It was clearly a stamp, though, which I think would have delighted many kids. But to me, it showed me that it was not really written by... Mr. Rogers, because if it had been written by Mr. Rogers, he would have signed his name the way that everyone signs their name at the bottom of a letter. It would not have been a stamp. So I had mixed emotions about this. On the one hand, wow, I got a letter back from Mr. Rogers, but it's not really from Mr. Rogers; it's from his camp, you know. Uh, and that was still kind of cool. Nowhere did, did he ask you to follow him on LinkedIn. No, he, you know, we didn't have that yet, but you know the, the compare so i felt and it wasn't that i felt slighted but i was kind of bummed because if i had never heard back maybe mr rogers read my letter you mm-hmm. know maybe he was too busy to write back which would have been fine it would have been fine right but the fact is i got like a fake response and in a way it was like well, screw you, Mr. I mean, I didn't feel like this. Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah, right. No, that's that's a perfect thing is Ovaltine. You know, it, it was the same kind of emotion that Ralphie felt it was like, I felt like, I, you know, like you, you, you responded, right. But it wasn't really you. It was a patsy. It was a beard, you know. And so compare this to the letter that I wrote, one of many that I wrote to GQ, which was published. And. I, the earlier letters, no public, no nothing, got no response back whatsoever. But then when they finally published one, like there was in print and that was much more rewarding because that's of course what I want. I wanted them to answer my question <laughs> in the magazine. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, it was really cool. But that's, I almost feel like, and so my, my point of this is I almost feel like no response is better than a response that that is not carefully written and thoughtfully uh, composed and done in a, in, a, in a way that shows that there's a human connection being made. Because I feel like when somebody emails me, to not respond to them in kind, like you were saying about the short answer. Yeah. um, Like a, a responsive, hey, that's funny. Thanks for listening, dude. That's not an okay response to somebody who sent you a five-paragraph email. Which is
0: so not true. Well, but that's how... They just, like, they just want that. They want to know that you got it and wrote back and, and exchanged a feeling on
1: But that. Then, okay, but then... Okay, so I tried something like three years ago where I used Text Expander. They are a wonderful uh, app everybody should check out uh, that we use a lot of the time when people are writing in to be like, hey, uh, we want to sponsor a show. So we have like some really great that, uh, that, that, the, you know, the salespeople will use to write back to them, like, thanks for your interest. Um, you know, and then, then they can use a little text expander form thing that will like, that will give them a list of like, here's some shows, here's some basic pricing, here's the information that you asked for. That's very different though, than when like an individual is writing to you as an individual saying this thing, you can't, you know, Thank you so much for your email about topic. You know, like it feels like I, I and, and here's the weirdest thing, Merlin, is before I was using a text expander, I was just writing people back. And I remember I wrote back to one guy who wrote in to say something. And I wrote him this thoughtful response as like, Hey, I really appreciate, you know, your email. Thank you so much for taking the time to write. It means a lot when, you know, listeners get back to me. Um, you know, thanks again for listening. Uh, you know, best of luck, Dan. And the guy wrote back incensed that I had used a form letter to write back to him. And, huh. that I, and I didn't. That was the funny thing. I didn't. It was just typing and I was in a good mood and I wrote him a nice response. Like, you can't win. You know what I mean? Like, so what do I do? I don't know. I mean, it.
0: it hangs over my head, all these kinds of experiences that you're describing because it's, I think we've all got our own collection of examples like that. And, you know, when I said the thing about, you know, just exchanging a feeling or whatever, that's why, you know, I'm not great about responding to people on Twitter because that's not really what I use it for. I, I don't use it for like long conversations, but I've seen that like sometimes it sounds really silly, but just responding to somebody on Twitter, like it's a really nice thing. They're really happy. I responded to them. Um, uh, you know, uh, David Reese responded to a tweet of mine and I was like, "Woo! I I can still get a boner from a celebrity writing to me. That's kind of cool. You know? And, and it's, it's just, it's such a small thing, but <laughs> I don't know how to get out of the situation with your quote unquote form letter. That's bananas. But, um, I, I remember, um, summer of 1998, I have so many stories like this, but, uh, Phil Hartman died. It was, was murdered. And, uh, I, and we were talking about this on Twitter like, about a week or so ago. Lisa Schmeiser and Jason Snell and a few of us. It's, it's weird to me. Like There have not been that many celebrity deaths that really, really struck me. The way that everybody seems to be struck by every celebrity death. But for myself, like John Lennon was one. And for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's where I was in life, but when Phil Hartman died, it was, I was just leveled by it. And I'm not, I'm not that kind of weirdo that sits around and like, worries about who's dead. Uh, but it really, really hit me. And I don't know why I did this. I was a big fan of um, Harry Shearer. And it's, I was really, at the time, a huge, well, I am not that I'm not now, but then I was a mega fan of the show, his, his radio show. And I don't know why, but I uh, I felt moved to write to him. And I, I emailed him a short thing. And I, I think I might have even said, like, I don't even know why I'm writing to you. But, you know, uh, he had said something. I think he'd said something on a show about Phil Hartman. And uh, and I was just like, oh, you know, I just want to let you know, like, you know, it really meant meant a lot to hear that. I'm going to really miss that guy. And it's just been really difficult. And he wrote me back in like two days. Harry Shearer wrote me back. That's which amazing. It, I felt like, wow, like that's amazing. And it was a short little note just saying thank you. And it was it was very humane. Like it was very humane. You could tell that he was also obviously pretty torn up about it. And uh, it really moved me. Similar thing. I I wrote to Jonathan Richmond one time, and he wrote me back. Like you know, but back when you would write a letter, especially to somebody, when somebody wrote you back, right? Just getting mail as a little kid is such an event. <laughs> you feel so important. Like you get to have the catalog. You've really scored. But like when somebody would write to you, um, so that really hangs over my head because w- without trying to sound like I'm puffing myself up bigger than I am, I do know that if somebody thought enough of what I do to write to me, if I write them back, that's a that's a small but very real connection. It's just it's really, really hard for that to scale up. Yeah. But she but I will always feel dogged by knowing that there's like that there's no way I could do all of it that I would like to do. My only consolation in that is to know that like that doesn't mean I shouldn't try. And and on the days like when I'm sitting, I'm I'm killing time, doing nothing particularly important, I'll just open up a whole bunch of those emails that are starred and just send short responses to five of them and say, um, thanks. I'm glad you like that part. Though you know that was that was a really hard day. Or write back to this person and say, I'm so glad you like that. You like the you know the inbox zero is working for you. Um, it's not the most personal thing in the world, but it takes enough. It takes enough thinking enough of yourself to realize it matters when people want to communicate with you. But that doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it scalable. But it doesn't mean you can't at least try a little bit. I mean, Chris Pratt finds time to dress up like Star-Lord and go to like a children's
1: hospital for three right, hours. Right.
0: I should probably find time to write back to somebody to say thank
1: you. Yeah, no, and it, 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 that's exact, you just summed it up like so well in that, you know, and I do, if, if people ask me something on Twitter, like if they ask a question, if, if they say, oh, awesome show you did, you know, wow, 180, episode 184 was great. I'll, I'll do my best to say thank you. You know, thanks for listening. But there's some, you know, if they ask a direct question, I'll almost always, always, always try and answer it. But there's something about Twitter that makes it immediate. And I'll tell you what, at listening to you talk about it, I think I've uh, put a finger on what it is. We're limited to 140 characters. So a short response is okay on Twitter. Oh, that that helps so much. It's, but it's not an email. If I reply to somebody in email with a 140 character or less response, it it potentially is a diss a dis. it's a diss. But Yeah, it seems it seems like you're, you know, Mr. Fancy. Right. But on Twitter, of course you're going to respond quickly. Thanks man. You know, that's it that's that's all they're looking for on Twitter, but you do the same thing on an email, it's it is responding in kind on Twitter. On email, it's it's much, much, you know, more of that expectation. And I almost have that thing of like somehow no response is better than a bad response. <laughs> Let me tell you about something I like, Marilyn. I got a tip. I got a tip about it. Linda. Linda. Linda.com. Linda. Linda. We've been talking about getting things done. And if you want to learn more about that, Merlin did two really, really great... Do you remember the numbers of those episodes? The series you did here? I'll look
0: right now. We did those five episodes in five. December. Or
1: was it more than... It was five, Five right?
0: times, Mrs. Bueller. Five, five times. times. I'll find it for you. I Keep don't going.
1: remember doing five.
0: Yeah, but yeah, but let's say you don't like podcasts. Let's say you want some kind of real actual video thing where, uh, where somebody tells you about getting things done who actually has the copyright. Where would you go for that?
1: I would go to com slash back to work because there you will find a great new course, Getting Things Done with... David Allen. The titular David Allen. World-renowned productivity and time management expert David Allen will walk you through his five-step process for getting things done. He'll show you how to stay on top of of the work that you're doing, how to avoid feeling buried by it, while carving out space in your life to do more meaningful things. This is just one of the over 2,400 courses that they have taught by industry experts. They're adding more every week. And they do things like teach you how to use Final Cut Pro. They do things like teach you how to understand getting things done. You want to learn about Microsoft Office, Adobe Creative Cloud, Ruby on Rails, how to configure and organize your iPad for productivity, even tips for reading email there. You know what I'm saying? Google Docs, Sheets, iOS, Keynote, you name it, it's there. And industry experts are the ones who are teaching it, not just people who, you know, went out and bought a book and decided to to record a screencast. Really, really, really great content there. And uh, and the way that this works is you, you get a subscription and then you have access to their entire catalog of everything. You get 15 minutes. You get 15 hours. It doesn't matter. You pick the course that's relevant for you. Beginner, intermediate, advanced. Everything is covered at this place. And it is an amazing, amazing way to learn. It's really one of the – I've learned – so much more from screencasts than, uh, than uh, I, I, I ever have just from sitting down and trying to work through a workbook on it because you get to see how it's done. And for, for a year or so, I made screencasts as, as like my living uh, so I know how great they can be both as a, as a way to learn, as a way to, to, uh, to, to keep up to date with things. So anyway, you go to Lynda, L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com slash back to work. And uh, by going there and using that URL, you are going to get a seven-day free trial. And during that time, you'll have access to everything, just like you were a full subscribed member, everything. So it's a great way to jump in and, uh, and see how, how it can help you. Linda.com slash back to work. Thank you very much to Linda for supporting 5 by 5 and Back to Work with Merlin Mann. Dan Benjamin. The other nice thing about that,
0: anytime when you're uh, trying to uh, be an autodidact, it's nice to be able to pick out what it is you want to learn. And then even while you're watching that video, you might say, oh, actually, you know what? I knew more of this than I thought. And you know you can just go to the next video. It's a nice way, and if you didn't understand it, if you're like trying to learn VI or whatever, uh, you can always go back and then watch that again, it, which is great. You'd feel like a dingus doing that in a class and making somebody say something over and over. But the ability to
1: scrub back in the video is so helpful. All of that is right there. Go check them out. lynda.com back to work. Ah. <sighs>
0: This is, I, this is this is uh, this has been
1: one of those episodes that I think we, people a lot of people will uh, will write emails to us about
0: Uh the, the irresolution <laughs> Gerald Ford wrote to me no kidding yeah I wrote him a very long well considered email in
1: nineteen seventy four did you really
0: oh yeah yeah what yeah what was I the a, topic of the email inflation
1: oh really
0: yeah and and uh, and I was telling him how, how how frustrating it was to me every week I had one dollar that I could take to Swallens to to buy something. And uh, $1 was not enough to buy anything of consequence at Swallens. And I remember saying specifically, uh, I could, could never get more than like a packet of caps. And that seemed wrong to me because of inflation. And so uh, I got a whole package back from them, including the robot signature. I got a picture of Liberty the dog. I got some frequently asked questions about uh, President Ford, Yes, he football, Michigan, Boy Scouts. It was all in there. And, uh, but I had a robot signature from Gerald Ford. Who I think might actually have been, you know, a robot. Also, a
1: robot signature is the signature where the, the back. I will use the parlance of those times. The secretary mm. would hold a <laughs> pen that is sort of a, a in a device that is attached to another pen, and so she. You're, you're terrible at explaining robots. Is tracing the sign, his real signature, and the the little armature goes across the thing with another pen onto your letter and puts a true signed signature over on the letter that they're sending to you. That's identical to the signature that uh, he would have signed because it's essentially being traced with an armature over to the side.
0: That's what I do with my daughter. Notes to my daughter. He's an armature. Yeah. Yeah. She's quite an artist. Oh my God. You should see the latest. Post it. Post it up. Uh, Well, um, Sean, my friend Sean Hussey, who I meant to talk about today, but it looks like we're running out of time. Um, Sean had posted a hilarious thing on his Tumblr about um, that his son, his son had written this little book about, you know, learning about adults and about how d- adults lie like nine times a day. And he'd drawn this picture of Sean looking extremely angry with like Peter Capaldi eyebrows, attack eyebrows. And I, it was a funny thing on Twitter and, or Tumblr and we all enjoyed it. And then Eleanor and I had a real Barney the other night. We had a, We had a dust up. We had a big fight. And it did not go well. I apologize to her because we had a big fight. Uh, But the next day, I found a drawing over my bed. (laughs) Like some kind of an ominous, like an omen. And she'd written in like, you know, the block letters, like really thick letters, like the outline of Helvetica. She'd written evil. That's her version of evil. She'd written evil and bad in these big letters. And me looking incredibly grumpy with my eyebrows at like 45 degree uh, angles and my teeth clenched. Wow. That's, that's like, that's that, you know, that's kind of like a, uh, Mr. Woltz type situation. You find that in your bed, Ooh. but I complimented her on it. She made me look skinny though. It was good. Yeah. I mean, that's the main thing is you want to look thin, but she's scooting. She did it after about a week and a half, probably about five. I put a, there's a, so when have, you
1: say that, I think you're talking about something different from what I'm thinking.
0: We hit on. Some, this is too long. We got to go. We hit on something last week that was very important for me, without me realizing it. Which was because I'm trying to do this talk. I'm doing a talk in Boston next week, um, and it's gonna. It, it was Sean and I have been brainstorming it for a while. It's at this E4E Developers Conference in uh, Boston. We've been talking for months and months about this, and he's been really helpful. And Sean's one of the ones who got me most excited about the Dreyfus model. He's the one who schooled me big time on this. So I was really excited to just somehow talk about like what is the role of like curiosity in getting better at stuff? What is it? How is it that we even know what we need to know? And on my thesis being somewhere in this, that it's about desire, curiosity, grit, whatever you want to call it. But, and that's why talking about my daughter trying to go from a three wheeled scooter to a two wheeled scooter was so, you got me thinking last week. And I think it ended up being like a pretty good segment, you know? And anyway, I only mentioned it cause now she's totally riding the two wheeled scooter. I put a movie up. She, um, She, But it was really important because she almost nailed it, like getting the two-wheel balance thing, which is hard, as you remember. And uh, so two days ago, we were going to go out and scoot. And she was like, I want to use the three-wheel scooter today. And I was like, you know what? Why don't you just try the two-wheel for like 20 minutes, 10 minutes? See how that goes. Why don't you practice? Just practice a little here in the garage, going back and forth. And she was so into how well she did practicing in the garage, she went out. And was totally scooting on two wheels without falling down. This is not important. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but it's kind of follow-up from last week. So, even though she thinks I'm able,
1: she's a good kid. Oh, there it is, two wheeling. Yeah, oh, she has got yeah. a helmet. Got a helmet. Look at that. I'm playing. But it right that's now. that's a pretty big deal. because no, it is know, a big deal. She
0: couldn't do that before. That's cool. <laughs> anyway, I'll be. In oh, Boston. she's going. She's going.
1: That's a beautiful uh recreational uh what have you.
0: She's using my scooter there. My scooter is more of a like a road scooter. It's got bigger. Oh, look wheels. at her go. She's got the turn down, she's got
1: everything. Yep, and the dismount. Oh <laughs> yeah. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And she's so, tall now, too.
0: Oh God.
1: Ugh. Freakishly tall.
0: 60 pounds. She's giant. All right. Let's button this up. All right. I love you. Love you too, Merlin.